Hey everyone, welcome back to Listen For Real. I'm Jennifer Brown. I am so, so, I say this each time, but I'm so happy you are here joining this conversation. And today we are talking, we're talking about grief and loss, but stay with me for a second because, you know, you might hear that and go, ugh, buzzkill, I'm moving on. But that, you know what, here's the bottom line. We all experience some kind of loss or it, as my friend Julia Nicholson is going to discuss. We're just going to have a really candid conversation. Julia, say hi to these good people. Let them hear your voice. It's like silk. Listen to her voice. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, all listeners. So glad that you're here. And thank you for inviting me, Jennifer. I feel honored to be here. Yeah. Um, we... Here's why I asked Julia to come and join the conversation on Listen For Real. She has some really, really um, important and unique stories to share, but they're not unique in that, oh, she's the only person that's ever walked through or had to process tough things. Um, But she has uniquely captured a framework that she's written a book about on how to process the grief and the loss that we experience in life. And it's incredibly energetic and hope filled. And, and so what I love about Julia is she is real. She speaks with great vulnerability and candor Um she doesn't give platitudes. We talked about before we started recording. Okay. No, please. God, no platitudes. Nobody who has experienced something difficult wants a platitude, right? In fact, we should really talk about, please don't say these things because <laughs> don't we all want to know that? Um, but she also just, um, I love your mind, Julia, and the way you go, oh, look at the way these things fit together, or you look for patterns. And because of the various losses you've experienced over the years, you found patterns of the way you coped and the way you developed a grit coming out of them. And I think this is a perfect discussion for just such a time as this. There is always grief and loss, but we are in such a time of uncertainty right now um, with two years of a pandemic. And so I hope that the audience finds themselves in what we're talking about and resonates, but also feels a sense of, okay, oh, oh, okay. I'm developing this grit. Oh, I'm already doing this. Or, oh, that's something I can see myself building upon. So with that, would you just Introduce yourself by way of story, if you don't mind, because I believe in the power of stories and you are an amazing storyteller. Will you talk a little bit about some of your own story and what brought us here? And then we'll get into some of the framework and your book and just all of the things. Sure, sure. What's interesting, I I hear more and more people saying, oh my gosh, mental health is now more important than ever. And my first thought is, no, it's not. It's always been important. It's just now getting the light and the discussion that it is so, so deserved for so long. And I want to be part of that discussion. I want to expand that narrative. And so a little bit about my background and my story. And sometimes I like to refer to myself as a big loser. And I mean that in a positive way because I've experienced a lot of loss in my life. And what I started to find early on is most people identify loss as the death of someone. 
Well, there's so much more to loss than only the death of someone. I mean, you can lose your self-confidence, your self-esteem. People have lost jobs. They've lost their financial stability. They've lost their health. They've lost people that they've loved. You know, this pandemic, most of us have lost the life that we knew before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I have identified is that when we have these losses that are just so expansive and so profound, if we don't have a way to process them in a positive way and cope with them in a productive way, they just continue to weigh us down. And it's really hard for us to show up, as you say, real. Yeah. It's so hard for us to show up authentic. It's so hard for us to show up and live the life that we were truly meant to live. And I started piecing all this together back when, as you said, I refer to loss as it because we've all had lots of it's, whether it's a divorce or your job or a pet, or I mean, we've had lots of unwanted loss and change. And I use it just because everybody can relate to that. When somebody says, what happened? Well, it happened like this. So one of the first experiences that I refer to as an it is I was 18 years old and I was hit head on by a drunk driver. And it was pretty traumatic at 18. It was a deserted two lane highway. And my parents lived in St. Louis. I was in Stephenville, Texas, a little town in the middle of nowhere. And at 2 a.m., my parents got that call that there's mm -hmm. been a serious accident and I was in critical condition. And at 18, to lose your physical appearance in a split second, as well as quite a few other injuries, and talk about life as you know it changing instantly, there was no more laughter, no more fun, no more excitement, no more looking forward to anything. Mm. I mean, as an 18 year old girl, you want to be noticed and you want to, you want to be looked at by guys, but not for the reason that I was being looked at. I mean, it was literally, it was a horror show. And yeah. that was really one of my first adult experiences as significant loss, because in a split second, I lost my self-esteem, my self-confidence, my physical appearance, lost so many things that, that meant so much to me at that age yeah. and trying to figure out how do you pick yourself up and go, go on when literally I didn't want to go on. I thought my life was over. I thought my life was ruined. I had no interest in anything. I isolated myself. I withdrew. I couldn't picture anything beyond what I was currently experiencing feeling. Oh my gosh. Well, and, and I'm so happy you said identity because I was just thinking about one of the reasons I, I, I had you on here, not only because I believe in what you have shared, but you've expanded my paradigm with uh, around the idea of grief and loss, right? And I would have told you, uh, walking into this conversation, that I don't really know grief or loss in in the sense that there are people who um, have lost children, spouses have been, as you just said, hit by a drunk driver head on and lost everything from your looks to, um, you know, identity, yes. feeling confident. And so part of why you have blown up my echo chamber, so to speak, in my perspective on loss and grief, whether it was that I thought that would be insurmountable or that, um, well, maybe I'm just, I don't know, I've been lucky. I don't know what it is. I've definitely had loss, nothing extreme, See, that's right there. As I say it, I want to stop that because yeah. you said before, okay, talk yes. more. It's, so it's not a hierarchy. And no, and so many people think it's relative and it's comparative. When, yeah. when I share some of the losses that I've experienced in my life, 
many people's initial reaction is, oh my gosh, I haven't been anything through anything like that. And yeah. yours is so much worse than mine. And what I really want people to understand and expand the dialogue is there is no such thing as worse than mine. I kind of look at him as Mount Everest, whatever it is that has impacted you is your Mount Everest. And it has impacted you just as significantly as my Mount Everest. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, certainly we haven't talked about all of the things that I've experienced in my life, but people want to make these comparisons of, oh, because you were hit head on by a drunk driver and almost died. That's so much worse than when I lost my favorite pet when I was 10 years old. Well, no, if that favorite pet was everything to you yeah. and it impacted you, that is that there's no relative comparison. The impact is the impact. And yeah. I think my really focus right now is can we expand this narrative that loss is so much more than death? And whenever I talk to people, when they say, oh, what do you talk about? I try really hard now not to use the word loss because they instantly go to loss equals death and death equals grief. Therefore, grief and, and it's, it's grief and loss mean it's all about death. Yeah. And no, it's not. I mean, yeah. I experience these challenges mentally and emotionally because of my loss of self-esteem, my loss of self-worth, my loss of self-confidence, my loss of my physical appearance. Mm -hmm. I was still alive, barely. I was maybe just fogging a mirror, but I was yeah. still alive. And so many, it's so hard for people, I think, sometimes to, to see something beyond loss can be other than or in addition to the death of someone that you loved. Yeah. Well, and that's why, you know, when, before we started recording today, we were kind of doing a check-in of how are you? And I had said to you, and I've only just recently shared this publicly is that I quit drinking about 46 days ago. So in the middle of December, I decided after, um, well, 35 years of a pretty significant drinking career. I mean, I was epic. Um, that it no longer served me. And it was time to go into this next half of my life in, as a non-drinker, sober. But let me tell you what, as you and I were talking and I said, it's kind of a grief. It's yes. a loss. My friend Trish said that to me. She goes, Jen, it is a lover, a best friend, a confidant. It has been a key part of how you've planned your life, your identity as a life. party girl, how I live my yes. life, my social connections. I mean, you and I, you and I have enjoyed many a glass of wine together. Yes. I lived for that whole, just, oh, it's this joie de vivre of a richness and fullness to life. That is what wine represented to me. So then to decide this no longer serves me who I want to be, the purpose I have, where I want to go, it's becoming too important and, or having too many negative repercussions from a health and mental standpoint that I decided, okay, no longer serves me. We're going to let this go, but uh, it's been a real a grief. And I thought, what is wrong with me? I should be more productive. I should be feeling, you had asked me earlier, how are you feeling? Mm -hmm. And I know everybody expects you to go, oh, I'm filled with energy. I have gotten more done. I've done this, <laughs> that, and the other. I've lost 400 pounds. I blah, 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 blah. Right? right. Okay. I have to say, I have been really deliberate about um, my recovery process, therapy, um, developing new habits to replace old habits yeah. because so much of it was just my lifestyle, my habit. It was just my go-to yeah. was my wine glass in the evenings. And, and suddenly it's like, Oh, everything shifts. Yes. 
It's a change. Even though you made this decision, you so much of your in your life has changed. And that is what quote unquote loss is, right? It's it's this change that happens with all of these things that come along with it. Yeah. And so yeah, that is a piece of even though this was a choice of yours, it is the same thing. You have lost the life that you knew by choice, but the life that you knew, and now you have to rebuild looking forward, going forward. And how how do you do that in a positive and productive way? And yes, it's the same type of thing. And you know, when I, when I talk about loss and grief and I talk about this new framework and these fibrilizations, one of the things I want to make sure people really understand is that this framework and these fibrilizations apply to any type of loss. Yeah. I know this might sound silly, but I go through the exact same framework and fibrilizations when I shrink my sweater to my favorite sweater that I saved up to buy, I shrink it to a size that I haven't worn since I was five years old. <laughs> that is a loss, even though it's not anything near like being hit head on by a drunk driver or some of the other things that I've had, the feelings are still the same. We just yeah. go through them a lot quicker. Yes. And so the idea of this whole thing of yours is worse than mine or yours is great. No, I mean, when it impacts you and it's something that you're carrying around, if you can't process those and cope with those in a productive way, they get to be so heavy that they weigh you down and Mm -hmm. it's it's impossible to show up as your real self. And in fact, you start to lose your real self. You don't even know what your real self is anymore because all you know is this heavy, this sadness, this slogging through the motions. This is as good as my life is going to get. I mean, you don't, you don't really remember what it was like without that because mm. you've been carrying it and accumulating it for so long and it becomes so heavy. And I want to let people know there's something more beyond that. Yeah. I mean, with as many things as I've experienced, I'm living proof that there is so much more beyond that. And you don't have to stay in that dark, that gloom, that heaviness, that sadness. You don't have to, there is something beyond that. There is more and it does get better. Well, and I want you to talk about the five realizations a little bit and just give people a sense of what we're talking about. But you just said something about living authentically and real. And you know, my branding, my branding, everything is about real. Listen for real, being real, speaking real is my communications consulting. And real stands for relational, engaging, authentic, life-altering. So now- apply that to whether it's real communication that's engaging, authentic, relational, and life-altering, or processing a challenge. I mean, all of these are processes that if we want to live and operate in real ways, these are tools that move us through. I love that you said that some things we just click through more quickly because it's a sweater. It's not the loss of a child. Okay. But it's a loss in that moment. It's a loss and it can still, I mean, anyone sometimes, I don't know if anyone else resonates with this. Sometimes I lose my absolute S over the smallest thing, but something massive happens and I'm like, calm, here we go. So I feel like the frameworks really give us a systematic way, even though you don't have to follow them, you know, in a certain order and make it like a checklist, but they just are tools and a systematic way to go, whatever comes, whatever it, because life on planet earth has them, we will not escape this planet without having loss and lots of them is, is these are just tools to go, okay, I'm equipped, whatever comes my way, I can, I can live to fight another day, hopefully. Right. Well, and yeah, and there's a, I think there's something very, very powerful about being literally equipped with 
new tools and empowered with a new mindset to yeah. be able to process them. And what I have learned throughout my life is using this exact same framework over and over and over again, sometimes on a daily basis, it has allowed me to increase my self-confidence, my self-esteem, my self-worth, my determination, my courage, my resilience, my grit. Mm -hmm. And it literally has allowed me to reach career success that I never thought was possible ever, highly improbable, as well as really live fulfilled and happy and satisfied and purposeful and passionate and show up real. And when you talk about being real, one of the most important things we have to do is be real with ourselves. Yeah. We can't be real to the world and authentic to the world if we're not real with ourselves. And I think this framework is a big piece of that. And these realizations are part of how do you get really real with what happened mm-hmm. and what do you want your life to be like going forward? And, yeah. you know, so much, so much of the dialogue right now in the narrative around loss and grief that really is one of the things that propelled me forward to do what I'm doing now is there seems to be this common connection through everything I read that because somebody has experienced a loss and it put whatever it is that yours is in there, mm-hmm. you're going to always feel these feelings of grief. And I disagree with that. I have found that I can move forward with all of the things that have happened in my life. And notice that I'm not saying happened to me. Mm -hmm. I think when we have those words, oh, that happened to me, I'm a victim. I don't want to be a victim. I can acknowledge that, like you said, things just happen in life. They Mm -hmm. just do. It's not that something happened. It's what you do with it when it happens and move forward with it. So talk more about that, practically speaking. So will you give an example? Because I don't, you guys, please don't think this is not, is so easy to think this is like cliche and empowered. And this is like powerful, um, self-helpy. This isn't, if you knew Julia, um, as I do, and hopefully, you know, me a little bit, this is actually just real. And I've observed this. Um, so maybe whether it's talking about Keith or talking about your accident, will you just talk a little bit from a practical sense of one of your own stories and then how a framework became this. It's almost like you've automated a process. Mm -hmm. And it literally almost becomes, it starts to become ingrained in a way of life. And and literally when you start to think about just the human brain and how it works, we're all hardwired for this negative bias thinking when something unexpected or unwanted happens, that's exactly where we go. Totally. And if we're not aware of it, we can't do anything to address or change it, which is why we keep ourselves in these loops, right? That just exhaust us and, and makes us feel like as good as we feel right now, that's as good as it's ever going to get. Yeah. So if I, you want me to relate it to any one of my yeah. experiences, um, well, you know what, given that we have so much in the media today about mental health and mental wellness and suicide and suicide prevention, intervention, all that. And certainly I can share with you the story of the love of my life that I met after multiple challenges in my life, getting to the point where I had finally finished a college degree and MBA. My daughters were in teenagers. They're happy, healthy. Life is great. And I meet uh, the love of my life. And we really, truly thought this is it. It's our turn. And it was truly a love story. And everybody could see it. Our friends around us would look at us and say, oh my gosh, we want what you guys have. And so it was truly one of those magical, magical relationships in time that you don't think exist except for in a poem or a book or a a song or something like that. And about two years into our marriage, he had a very severe accident 
he rode motocross on the weekends and was in the corporate world during the week. And he was found unconscious on the motocross track, paralyzed from the waist down. Mm. And our life changed dramatically in a split second. And it was just a freak accident. I mean, he's been riding us since he was three years old, had taken that same jump so many times. It was an accident. And looking at that, going through that, why, 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 you know, it was finally our turn. It was finally. So when I apply his accident and then subsequently after four years of acupuncture and therapy and pain meds and trying everything he could to relieve his pain, uh, four years after his accident, he took his own life. Mm. And in a split second, right, my entire world shattered. Mm-hmm. Totally unexpected, totally. I mean, you just, you, I, I don't, we'll never have the words to put into any type of conversation or writing to describe what that feels like. Yeah. Um, and so when you look at, oh my gosh, how, how in the world do you even get your mind around this? How do you process it? How do you cope with it? And especially the stigma that's associated with it. And one of the ironies is that through so many of the other losses, the other it's in my life, this framework and these realizations saved my life. And when I say that there's a big difference between living and just existing and fogging the mirror. Mm-hmm. And, because of this framework. And so to put it in that context that we're talking about, right, there's, there's five pieces of the framework. And like you said, there's no specific order. This is not a checklist. I've had people describe it kind of as a roadmap. And we all know when we're driving, sometimes we go straight to where we want to go. Sometimes we get lost. Sometimes I can't even read a map, (laughs) Um, but, but it's kind of like a roadmap and it really helps people. They've shared with me that it helps me to know, they said, Julia, when I know where I am, and then I know there's something else beyond that. Mm -hmm. And that gives them hope. And they know now when they're ready to move, it's on their own timeline. There's no specific timeline, but one of the pieces of the framework that happens is when something happens that we don't want to happen, that we don't expect to happen. One of the first things we do is relive it over and over again, usually in at least one of two ways. We think about it. So mentally, continuously, we relive what happened. It could be the person that cut you off on the freeway. And right when you get to where you're going, you tell people about it. When you show up at the restaurant, I can't believe somebody cut me off, right? Yeah. Or it can be so traumatic as the death of your spouse and Mm -hmm. what you were doing and where you were and what you were wearing and and what happened when you found out, right? right? So we relive this. And that's one of the pieces of the framework. And we relive it mentally and verbally. Is reliving it? Also replaying it from the standpoint of, um, I should have done this. Is that part of relive? Because I know, and I want to acknowledge many people when they grieve, um, you know, most people know my husband uh, lost his second child. Um, and much of that, it was very sudden and unexpected. And part of his grieving process was the constant replay or reliving it. If I had only done this, maybe this wouldn't have happened or maybe I could have prevented it, blah, blah, blah. Is that part of relive? It's a big part. And it's first of all, relive is really important. It's necessary because that's when our mind starts to process and get, make, try and make sense of something that happened that we can't make sense of. So it's a really important thing. The problem is, is that if we stay there too long, it becomes unproductive. I see. So part of relive when we are mentally and verbally reliving it over and over again, we perpetuated ourselves by at least one of two ways. One continually asking ourselves these questions that have no answer that usually start with why, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I say this? Why? 
And we go down this endless list of looking into a crystal ball of if only, yeah, right? This if only, if I would have, if I should have. And when you start to do that, you create these outcomes in your mind that you really believe you could have done something. When in reality, if you could have done something, you would have done something. You know, I look at my husband's, my husband's death. If I could have done something to prevent it, to change it, absolutely I would have in a heartbeat. But that only served to keep me and relive by beating myself up with these self-defeating conclusions and thoughts. Yeah. So relive was necessary because I couldn't in, immediately I'm in shock. I'm numb. You can't get your mind around something that happens that you didn't want to happen. That was unexpected. And you can put any loss in this, my loss of my job, my demotion, my loss of my, my finances, my, the loss of a relationship that I thought was everything. And now all of a sudden they're, they're gone, whether it's a divorce or something else. So all of this reliving, we try and process it so that we can make sense of it. And, and I think that's a mechanism that was given to us for survival. The challenge is there's a point in time where it becomes unproductive mm. and we create this mental rut and we can get stuck there. And I really believe that that's where so many people are right now. They've created this mental channel, this mental rut, not recognizing that's what they've done. Yeah. Not aware of that, that there is something beyond that. And that leads us to another piece of the framework is this mental processing and this reliving is necessary up until it becomes unproductive. And you can tell it's unproductive when you are just exhausted and you know that you are feeling this continual drain yeah. and you're slogging through the motions and this is as good as it gets. And a key point for me was to be able to change that from the, this is as good as it gets to a question. Is this as good as it gets? Is this how my life is going to be for the rest of my life? Is this how I'm going to feel? Yeah. And recognizing that the second piece, if you will, or another piece of the framework is to reflect which is another piece, right? Of five yeah. to reflect on it, to really identify, is there another way to see what just happened mm -hmm. as opposed to my life is just ruined. This is terrible. This is horrible. It's the worst thing that could ever happen. Is there another way to see it? So reflecting on it, the realization that I learned is there's more than one true or right way to see the exact same thing. Yeah. It's just beyond what I currently believed. Yeah. So when I put that in the context of my husband, I mean, it was awful. It was terrible. My life was shattered. Things changed that I never wanted to change. I really didn't see a future. I didn't want to go on. I remember telling people that I don't even know why he was my everything. I had built my world around him and now it's all gone. So why should I continue? Mm. What I learned though, in reflecting and taking a step back was, is there something that, that I can learn from? What happened? Is there something good that can come out of it? Is there something that I might be able to use to help others? Yeah. And all of a sudden it occurred to me that these possibilities are in the future. All of the other stuff that I was thinking about, I had already determined my future. My life is ruined. My life is terrible without really even knowing that. Yeah. So a piece of the framework is reflect. Another piece of the framework is actually called reframe. One of the things I learned also through this process is that because we are initially hardwired and we go automatically to this negative bias thinking, we literally create this framework that we trap ourselves in. Mm. And this is actually kind of an interesting thing because, you know, I have a strong big business background. My whole career has been in business 
And there's actually a theory that's used in the business world called the framing theory. Mm -hmm. And the framing theory says the manner in which something is presented to a person influences how they process that information. Right. And I was blown away when I, when I noticed that companies use this framing theory all the time. That's what all the commercials are. Oh, and all the ads are. Right? It's marketing at its yes. finest. And the, they use the framing theory to influence us to buy their product or service. Sure. Media uses this framing theory to influence our views and beliefs all the time for anything. Right. For sure. And what blew me away is when I absolutely had this epiphany of, oh my gosh, we can use this same framing theory for the losses in our life, for the unwanted changes in our life. Yeah. And conventional wisdom had had led me to believe for so much of my life that because I'd had this loss or this unwanted change, I'm always going to have these awful feelings about it. And what I learned is this framing theory can be applied to our losses. It's not just for business only, it's for people. Yeah. Right? And we can look at those initial thoughts and beliefs that we had. My life is terrible. My life is ruined. This is awful. I'm no good. I'm not worth anything. Nobody's going to want me. I mean, I had every one in the book. Mm. we can use the framing theory to say, that's the frame. Those are my initial thoughts and beliefs. And the picture in that frame is what happened. Mm -hmm. What happened factually is my husband died. The frame around it did not necessarily have to be my life is ruined. This is terrible. This is horrible. I have nothing of value to give. It's all my fault. I'm to blame. Right. And looking at it from a reframing standpoint, I can put whatever frame around it I want that can be just as true or mm-hmm. just as right. Mm-hmm. Like maybe there is something good that I can learn from this. Maybe there is something I can use. Well, you know, as you're saying this, this is so um, interesting and instructive because if I, so I'm going to look at this from my own life. I am, um, I am remarried. So I'm on my second marriage. My first marriage um, ended in divorce after about 20 years. And so I, would look at that loss. The reframing is this. A while back, um, one of my first podcast guests was my friend, Stacey Bartley, who I think I've connected you with at one point. She's a relationship mediator. And one of her biggest things she always says, and I call this a reframe for me, is that um, there are no failed marriages. There are no failed relationships. They simply are relationships that you've had. They've informed places you've gone. Um, they were informed your new relationships. They've informed so many things, right? So that's the reframe for me is I could look at it as I have a failed marriage. I have challenges. My, my current marriage is not perfect. Um, there's definitely struggles there as there are so many times, um, in marriages and second marriages. I I could look at that as failure. Mm -hmm. Um, I could look at it as something's wrong with me. I could look at it as um, I'm the common denominator in these marriages, right? Absolutely. Or I could reframe it. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing that, so there's one. Reframing it is not just a Pollyanna-ish, ooh, 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 ooh. Right. It's true. It's, It's reframing is actually acknowledging there's more than one true or right way to see the exact same thing. Right. So it's not this, oh, I'm going to pretend like this didn't happen. But so reframing is literally about acknowledging, wait a minute, there's more than one true or right way to see the exact same thing. Right. Which is not, which is the exact opposite. That's dealing in reality. Exactly. And just going, there's multiple ways to see it. Like you use the example in your Ted talk, shameless plug, you'll see it in the episode notes. You've got to see, you've got to watch her Ted talk. Anyway, TEDx Folsom, 
Julia A. Nicholson. Anyway, so good. Um, But you use the example in your talk, if I recall, of drawing the number six on a piece of paper. You're sitting across from someone and you're looking at it and it's a big giant six on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. You slide it across the table and that person is looking at the same piece of paper in a nine. Neither of you are wrong. It is simply frame of reference. Look at the exact same thing, the exact same thing. And that's just, that is just real. Right. And so I think that's really important because I have in the past done this whole let's sugarcoat, let's put on the rose colored glasses. Let's paint it with the best possible lipstick on a pig. Totally. I think I've, uh, and, and it's only as we're talking about this, that I'm realizing that, um, and I'm thankful you're kind of blowing that up for me a little bit because I want to operate in what's real and what's authentic yes. as opposed to just trying to let's put the positive spin on it. Um, let's let's play pretend yes. because I think you can get into framing. And I think I've done this where let's just put the positive spin on it, which for me and I'll only speak to myself, but maybe other people can relate is kind of a la la la, put my head down. uh, Don't see what's real. Let's just paint a pretty picture on it and cover it up. Yes. I think I've gotten really good at that. And it's a positive spin in that vernacular. If you don't believe it, when you really believe it, Mm -hmm. it's actually ingrained. Meaning when I was able to look at my husband's death with a different frame around it, all of the frames were true or correct. There was no right or wrong. One of them makes me feel awful and terrible. This is my fault. I should have been able to do something about it. I should have prevented, I should have changed it, which is another thing. I can't understand the whole idea of suicide prevention. Well, that's a whole nother podcast. Um, but that frame made me feel awful. Well, what about looking at my husband and you know what? He's in, he's not in pain anymore. He lived in constant pain for over four years. He was debilitated to the extent that he did not want to live a life of limit like he had. He was an incredible elite athlete. So now he's not in any pain. He doesn't have this foreseeable future where that's all that he could see. Mm. He's now in, I have strong faith. He's in a better place. He was, he didn't owe me anything to maintain his continual existence in this constant pain. Mm. Looking at it from that frame to say, if somebody gave me a choice, If they said, sure, you know what? You can still have your husband here, but he's going to be in constant pain every day. He's going to be miserable. Mm. He's not going to be able to do the things that he wanted to do that he loved to do, but he's going to be here because you wanted him to, or, or Julia, you can have him where he's not in any pain anymore. His body's made perfectly whole because he's not existing in this, in this world, in this body. And he's released from that. And now he is pain-free, which would you rather have? Oh my God. Okay. We do more for a dog. Exactly. Exactly. We would put a dog out of its misery. I I mean, I, that sounds so crass and I I, bear with me that, but really that reframe is incredibly powerful because that's what I could think of as like, my God, we would euthanize a dog. And I'm not, this is not a podcast about euthanasia or anything else, but you get what I'm saying. Like that's a total reframe of and they're both right. correct. And so the whole idea is if yeah. I frame, like I'm guilty, I should have done something. If I didn't do this, if I would have done that, right. Putting all of this guilt and this blame and the shame on myself, all of that makes me feel awful. Makes me feel terrible. Makes me feel I don't even want to go on. Yeah. This other frame is just as true or just as correct. 
but it makes me feel hopeful. It makes me feel purposeful. It makes me feel at peace. It makes me feel, it makes me feel better about having something of value that I can get out of this to make a difference in the world, to make something positive. Yeah. And I learned really quickly that that frame is what controls us. That's why media uses it. That's why companies use it. Why can't we use it for ourselves, for our benefit, Mm -hmm. knowing that, as I said, this isn't putting lipstick on a pig. It's just as true. And I'm living proof. People that knew me how many years ago, because my husband passed away 10 years ago, they would have never believed of where I am today. And nothing else has changed except for my frame to be able to say, you know what? He's not in any pain anymore. There's something good that can come out of this. I can use things that I've learned to help other people. And I was able to learn them because of this, through this, from this. And to me, that's the value. So when people talk about failure, and I talk about this a lot in my career, I do not understand that word. It does not make sense to me. I mean, I know I've seen the acronym first attempt in learning and all of those types Mm -hmm. of things, but there is really no such thing as failure. As long as you learn something each time, Mm -hmm. even if it's about yourself or about the world or about that's not failure. You've gotten one more piece of information that's valuable. It's more data. Yes. Yeah. And I look at all of the things I've experienced in my life and all the things that I've gone through. And I have so many people say, oh my gosh, how are you so successful in spite of everything that has happened in your life? Yeah. And I look at them and say, you have that all wrong. I'm not successful in my life in spite of what happened. I'm successful because of what happened. I learned from it Mm. and I've applied what I've learned to my advantage going forward each time, building more confidence, more determination, more strength, more courage, more resilience, more grit. And each time using that, I kind of almost look at it like I'm climbing a ladder, Yeah, but the ladder is the it's that keep happening. It's okay. Here comes another one. I know they're going to happen. Don't know when necessarily, don't know what it's going to be, but I know something's going to happen. What do I have in my toolbox now? Because I've already been through that near fatal car accident. I've been through that abusive marriage and that awful divorce. I've been through the single parent, right? With no job, no money. I've already been through mm-hmm. and I know what that takes. And so each one of those allowed me to gain something. That to me is not a failure. Exactly. That to me is more than survival. That's thriving. That's passion. That's purpose for what you've experienced and leveraging it and using it to your advantage to say, you know what? I got this too. And by the way, I have your back too, yeah. because now I can help others with it. Yeah. I mean, my energy is such that I feel like I could really carry a lot of people through some of this stuff and say, look, I'll, I'll, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. If you're ready, if you're willing, if you have just a little piece of light where you're looking at and thinking, okay, I don't know what's next, but I know I want something more than what I have right now. Yeah. Because I, I recognized back after that car accident, I did not want to live anymore. What happened to me over a few months time living in this dark place is this incredible, incredible thought that hit me of, it wasn't that I don't want to live anymore. It's, I don't want to live like this mm. anymore. That's a big difference. Yeah. And when I can acknowledge, I don't want to live like this anymore, then it's okay. Then what, what, how do I want to live? What comes after this? What, what, what do I want it to be? And that he was a huge impetus for moving forward and saying, okay. And and that kind of plays into the conventional wisdom didn't work for me, which is how these five realizations in the framework came, because then I started looking for, okay, how can I move forward? How with all of this, right? This awful stuff, 
And that's how the genesis really of these five realizations started to kind of bring us back full circle. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. And then, yeah, I want to, I want to fill in the holes of the five and tell everyone about your book, because that's going to be something people can look forward to. And, and I want to delve into this a little more. I'm just having a lot of personal epiphanies as we're talking, which is the point of a podcast like this. And these conversations is what is a conversation if you're not um, being challenged, having some personal epiphanies happen? Uh, I, I love that. Those are the kind of conversations I want to have. So join us in a second. We'll be right back. Okay. Let's dig this. I'm so happy we're digging into this because I, the epiphanies I keep having are how easy it is to, and I'm, I'm excellent at this. I can choose. I will either beat myself up and go, you should be doing this. You should have done that. You should be feeling this. You should blah. I've gotten old enough now. I'm like, that's such crap. I'm not doing it anymore. But it's, it's a habit you have to break, right? I mean, these neural pathways are amazing in our brains. They're mental ruts. They're just fully yes, mental channels that you get stuck in. And so that's really what I love is so much of what you're talking about. And so much of your book is, is forming new pathways, forming new responses, forming a new mindset. And so even just listening to you talk, I thought, oh yeah, that's right. Okay. There's a whole new way to look at this. And it is not just easy. You're not going to go read Julia's book and and be fixed in four seconds. You're not going to, I mean, that's just isn't life, but I love that it is so, um, it's just so easy to get stuck. And I think many people in the last few years with the pandemic have gotten really stuck. Yes. And so I love anything that is going to shake us out of our, um, that place of being just there, it's immovable. I I can't get away. That was one of my challenges is that I was stuck, but I didn't know I was stuck. Right. I just thought this is just the way it is. Yes, exactly. I literally resigned myself to the fact that, okay, I guess this is just the way my life is going to be. Yeah. I didn't know I was stuck. What I am able to recognize now in other people. I mean, I see it in their eyes. I see it in their shoulders. I see it and hear it in their voice they don't know they're stuck. They don't know that there's something so much better. It's just beyond where they currently are. And here's a pathway to get there. And you're absolutely right. It's literally this. And I want to touch on something you said that this is not something that, Ooh, I'm going to read this book and I'm going to do this. I'm going to be fixed. Woohoo! Life is nothing but sweetness and light and rainbows and unicorns. Exactly. No, it's better than that. And the reason why I say that is because we were talking about the piece of the framework called reframe. 
every time you reframe something, you start to rewire your brain a little bit more away from that negative bias thinking. Yeah. That's lifetime stuff that changes you at the core. So this isn't just a one and done. I'm going to go through this checklist and okay, now, now I've resolved or processed my car accident. No, I still sometimes think about my car accident. I don't stay there anymore. Mm -hmm. and it doesn't bring me down as, as it did, but you're absolutely right. This is not just some checklist that I'm going to be fixed. This actually is life-changing because it starts to rewire your brain at the core. Yeah. And all of a sudden it becomes this way of life where like, there's another way to look at this. There's another way to look at this. And there always is. Yeah. Well, and, and you know what I started thinking about too is when um, something's drawn out, there is a kind of loss and grief that isn't an it in that it isn't a one and done episode or event. Mm -hmm. And as you were talking, I was recognizing the things you were seeing in me but they were drawn out over a period. So let's say, for example, in my 20 year marriage where there was a lot of struggle, mm -hmm. it wasn't one, it, it was a long drawn out, not yes. that there wasn't great, wonderful things too, in that right. marriage and in that and relationship. Pecked to death by a duck. Yeah. Over and over, peck, 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 peck. And it's eventually there's nothing left. And so, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's where that is a loss in its own right. Oh, and you don't even know you're losing it. It's insidious. Yeah. Okay. And thank all of a sudden you. you wake up and it's like, what happened to me? What happened to my joy for life? What Fully. Absolutely. That. And, and so I literally just gained that awareness in this conversation, which mm -hmm. thank you for that. Because I kept thinking, well, I feel like I felt a loss, but a, I'm that personality that just goes, right. oh no, you haven't. You know, I, I, I say this, it, it must be my theme this year because it keeps coming up is that my mind runs this totalitarian regime. My body and soul try to tell me things yes. and send me messages, but my mind goes into rationalization, right. goes into, oh, no, you didn't think that, or, right. you know, it, in it, it's all coping mechanisms yes. and yes. In, it's meant so you don't, you know, want to. In, in that marriage, you lost your sense of self. You lost your future hopes and dreams. You lost the ideal of what you thought life would be. You lost what you had created in your own mind, expectations of how married life was going to be. So now you've lost your sense of innocence. You've lost your sense of what you really thought marriage would be. And then if you're like me, I mean, I was in the same boat, right? Yeah. Now I'm blaming myself. Well, it's all my fault. I could have done something different. I could have done something better. If, if I would have been a better wife, a better mom, a better, and, right. I mean, so yes, it's, but that's more insidious. I mean, when I wound up getting married in a time and place where I should have never, I was still struggling with all the aftermath of the, the physical was healing, but the mentally emotional stuff from all of that in the car accident and got married and in quickly to anyone who would marry you I, kind of thing. Cause you yeah, thought I'm I, damaged goods. I was damaged goods. I mean, that's oh, truly how honey. I saw myself. That's how I believed about myself. Yeah. And that's what everybody else was telling me. Yeah. Just reinforcing the stuff within myself. And you know, losing all of that and your self-confidence. So you take whatever you can, you grasp at straws, right? And so now I'm in this marriage and it was the same thing over this five-year period. Yeah, I, I kept being pecked away at with little self-confidence or self-esteem I might've been able to gain, peck away, peck away till it's at some point there was nothing else left. And surely I deserve to be treated like this. Surely I, Ugh, and, and so right. You literally lose yourself. Mm -hmm. You lose who you are. You don't even know anymore. You lose the essence of you. Yeah. 
Well, and that, so in part of me, I'm not your marketing person, but I want to tell you something about your book. Okay. (laughs) What occurs to me is it would be a grave error if people only think, oh, I'm going to get that book or give that book to somebody who's gone through a major life loss. And I'm so glad that you speak to that often, that it's an it and that it it could be the shrunk sweater or it could be a horrific loss of a a spouse, a child. Okay. Right. Yeah. Is and anything in between personally or professionally. Right. It Absolutely. Is, people it, have lost their houses. People have lost a pet that was so important. Yeah. People lost a promotion that they worked so hard for. People yeah. lost a relationship because somebody walked out and they thought the other person thought we were getting married. I mean, yeah. it can be that you lost your sense of, of confidence, self-confidence because you just lost a big prospect or a client that walked out the door. I mean, yeah. professionally there, you lost your best friend who you don't even know why they don't even talk to you anymore. I mean, yeah. there's so many different things that are just as impactful, right? It, it creates this whole cycle of us where we relive it. I, I guarantee you every time something like that happens to me, no matter how, if somebody wanted to chart it on a scale, this is a major or significant impact, lots of change in your life or, mm-hmm. or smaller. I mean, I show up someplace and I tell my girlfriend about it five ways from Friday. Until finally, okay, now I've gotten that off. Now I'm going to try and figure out how to move on. But we do, we go through these same, these, the same framework, these same realizations in just different varying speeds and, and timeline sequence. But yes, absolutely. This is not about some, some major significant, as I like to tell people, this framework and these five realizations. It's a mindset. It is. It's It's a mindset and a way of life in an imperfect world. Exactly. When you get cut off. I mean, yeah. I, I can tell you, I, my car just got hit in parking lot, totally empty, no other car around, just mine. Got hit. Do you know how many people I've told that story? Because it was unexpected. Now, is that a life-changing thing? Thankfully, no, nobody was in the car. It was sitting there parked, but I've told everybody about it that I could think of. Yeah. Can you believe this? Somebody, right. I relived this over and over and like, how could you do that? The parking lot is empty. It's huge. Yeah, it doesn't matter what these things are. We, Sorry for laughing. No, but it's true. We re- think about. I mean, think about oh how many God. times. How many times have you relived? You bought a pair of shoes because it looked great in the store, and then you yeah. get it home. You can't stick your foot in there. It's like, oh, why did I buy yeah. these pair of shoes? Right? Then you beat yourself up for buying. I mean, oh my gosh, so much mental energy. Yes. Yeah. And so the whole idea with this framework is that not only is it applicable across the board, yeah, but it's life changing because it does start to change your mindset. It does. It's like. When you look at it, I mean, just the little things, the random things in life that can change the entire course of your life, just one little thing, whether it's you left the house five seconds later than you had planned on, or you missed your flight or right. All these things, you never know the randomness that gets connected, but Mm -hmm. all of a sudden when your mindset is such that you say, wait a minute, let me reflect on this. Mm -hmm. Um, and is there another way to see this? Okay, well, let me reframe it. Maybe this isn't so bad. Maybe there's a reason why I was supposed to miss that flight or I was, right? Right. And once you start to do this, all of a sudden, your stress level goes down. Yeah. Your frustration, your anxiety, all of that, about all of these things that are outside of your control. Although yeah. that's one of the pieces of the framework, right? Is we have this innate need for control. Yes. But once we start to recognize that one of the pieces of the framework is release. Yeah. And the whole piece of release is, it's not the let it go, let it go from frozen. Right? No. As human beings, we have this need for control. We are not letting go. Yeah. But what the whole idea for the piece of framework for release, uh-huh. that's letting go of the illusion of control of an outcome. For real. And we oh, have this my huge gosh. illusion of control of an outcome. And the cool thing right now is the entire world has had this major reset because of the pandemic. Yeah. We have 
all had to acknowledge almost simultaneously, we had no control over so many outcomes. And it's liberating at the same time. It is kind of scary because we think we have it. But the irony is when we are able to release this illusion of control of an outcome that we have, we set ourselves free. We set ourselves free from that guilt and that blame and that shame. And that's one of the things that really helped me with the death of my husband. I had all this guilt and this blame that I should have been able to control that outcome. I yeah. should have been able to prevent. And I you know, had, like you said, my what ifs and my if onlys, this crystal ball and created all of these different outcomes in my mind. Yeah. If I only would have done that and which we all know is impossible to predict the future because if I would have done what I was thinking I should have done and the outcome was the same then I'd be telling myself, oh, I should have done what I actually did. Oh my gosh. You can't, you play these mental games. It's like a pong game in your mind. Yeah. But releasing that illusion of control of an outcome is so powerful. And it gives you back that bandwidth to focus on the things you can control and you can change. Yep. But the illusion of control of an outcome when there's at least one other person involved is impossible. Yeah. No matter what it is, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a business deal, whether when there's one other person involved, you don't have the control of the outcome. Yeah. Impossible. And that piece alone is so powerful and so liberating Yeah, to be able to channel your energy somewhere else, something more productive, something more positive, something more energy giving instead of draining. Okay. Weird, fun fact, but okay. So right now this is front of mind, my whole drinking thing, right? Uh-huh. Because I'm, I mean, this is new when you drank for 35 years and it was a big part of your life and identity. And then suddenly you're 46 days. I think I have, uh, of sobriety. Um, it, it's a, it's front of mind all the time. Right. But here's what just occurred to me, as you said, that is that's part of why I decided this no longer serves me. I'm letting this go because the mental energy I was taking to trying to be manage, manage it and control it because I thought, well, you know, my instinct is, oh my God, that wine is good. I want like four glasses. Well, that would be foolish. You need to stick with two, you know, or, or you name it, right. but there was this constant mental game I was playing, um, because I just hadn't accepted or released control the idea of surrender of this is just really, um, becoming too important to me right. and I'm having trouble controlling it. And I am focusing so much mental energy Right. on trying to keep this manageable. I used to say, which I, I, I wrote this in my journal so many times over the years is I can never develop a problem with alcohol. I just, the thought of living my life without wine is, is so terrible, yes. which I laugh all the time. When I say that I yes. say it all the time, cause that's problematic in yes. its very statement. <laughs> no, absolutely. And the irony is the longer you hold on to the illusion of control and outcome, yeah, that illusion has control over you. Yeah. And that alone was so powerful. It's like, oh my gosh, no kidding. Because then I fixate on it. Yeah. I'm obsessed with it. I oh focus my God. on it. I, Fixating, yes. obsessing all the time. Yes. And I, I just remember thinking, I don't have the mental real estate for this. I have big shit I'm doing. Exactly. No, <laughs> exactly. Big stuff I'm doing. Absolutely. I have big purposes and plans. And there is no way that I um, can waste any more mental real estate on that mental circular, whatever that was. Right. Yeah. I need to. And so I thought I'm going to let that go because now I don't have to think about it anymore. If I've just made the decision, I'm a non-drinker. I don't have to think about it. Exactly. 
you know, is it still a process? Am I still working through it? it it's not daisies. It and I'm suddenly sipping my soda water and it's yeah. all joy and daisies. No, dude, there are times I miss it. I miss it very much, but it's okay. Uh, well, what it's freed me up for, because I don't have the mental yes. torture anymore. Cause I have to constantly think about it. Yes. Oh, I really want it, but I shouldn't have it. Yes. Blah, blah, blah. It's like suddenly when you just don't have to make the decision anymore because yes. you've just decided I, I'm just going to go through life as a yes. non-drinker now. Big well, freaking deal. And cool. the, yes. Plenty of people do it all over the planet. Exactly. <laughs> I'm but no, the, I'm not extraordinary. The interesting <laughs> thing is some of your mental thought process around alcohol and socialization comes from the th- framing theory from the beverage companies <gasps> that have framed oh my gosh. alcohol is is, is that makes you popular. Oh my gosh. It has to be with every, right. So that's fully so a about, podcast coming up. Exactly. I'm, I have a whole thing yes. on that. So if for you real think about literally oh. how that we don't even, we don't realize how much it's shaping our thoughts about ourselves and what we do. And so, I mean, I know that we're kind of jumping around, but the, I mean, literally this framework is so powerful because it gives you, it gives you so much to think about in so many different areas. Yeah. And Alcohol is certainly one of them, that, but but it has to do with anything. Think about the car that we drive. It's because yeah. the way they have promoted. We want our white teeth. We want our, our whatever body shape or type. Totally. We want our hair. And yeah. alcohol is a big one. The entire framing theory around alcohol is all about, you have to have alcohol to celebrate. You have to have it to be popular. Of course, every party has one. And, and so now it's not only do you have the alcohol, you have to have this tier of alcohol because this one's better than the other one. And so this is yeah. all the framing theory to create in us how we process and receive this information. And so this must make me happier and I must have to have it for celebration. I mean, and it's all been how it's been presented to us. Yeah, exactly. Which it kind of blows you away when you think about, oh my gosh, doggone it. Those things have been controlling me and I didn't even know it. And, yeah. Because I bought into it, right? So why not use it to our advantage? It, so now- Exactly. And, and we can, because it is that powerful, which is why, I mean, think about how many- um, things in the world. I mean, artists spend so much time figuring out a frame to go around their picture. Yeah. Not because, oh, they want the cheaper, the expensive, but because they know that that frame changes the picture totally, how you see it, how you feel it. And when you look around, think about cruise ships, every type of business frames something in the way they want you to make sure and process it. Mm-hmm. Well, doggone it. Why can't we use that for framing whatever happens in our life? Why can't we frame it in a prettier frame yeah. in, a, in a more productive frame in a positive frame? That's yeah. not lipstick on a pig. It's just as true. Yeah. When I reframed the things that happened in my life from this is terrible. This is horrible. My life is over. This is as good as it's going to get. Nobody's ever going to want me. I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm never going to be successful. I'm never going to do anything. And all of those, interestingly, were in the future. So I had decided already what the future was going to be. And mm. I'm 18 years old. Oh, my gosh. All of a sudden, reframing it. Well, wait a minute. Why does that have to be the future? It. I mean, why? Yeah. yeah. And now that why question, the interesting thing is I talk about in my TED Talk in my book is that um, we ask ourselves these questions that have no answer. And they usually begin with the word why. The interesting thing now, as I've continued to put one foot in front of the other and use this framework and these five realizations consistently, I now know the answer to why. Because I was supposed to do this. I was supposed to share this information, share what I learned, share this framework, share these realizations to help other people. Now I have the answer why. But I didn't have it at 18. I mean, that was way too many years ago but now I have the answer. And this is why all of this has brought me to this point to be able to share what I've learned and help somebody else. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, I am so happy we did this. We have got to keep having these conversations. 
Okay. So I'm, I'm having you back because we're going to just unpack other things in this. We're going to unpack. We're going to unpack stuff because I, I, I love when I feel like my brain's popping and little idea bubbles are, are dancing around in the air around us right now. Um, I love that feeling. So I to absorb, right? It's like, Oh, it is, it is a lot to absorb, especially because our mindset is often one that we is deeply ingrained. We've reinforced it. It's worked for us in a lot of ways. And, um, it takes, it takes hearing a new perspective and then sitting with it Mm -hmm. or wrestling with it, marinating in it, maybe even questioning it or going, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. You know what? There's somebody listening right now and goes, screw them. Yep. They don't know me. Yep. They don't know what I'm walking through. Dude, totally okay. Because that's a that's a viable response as well. And that is also part of a process. Yes, and, and and looking at our mindset and maybe rejiggering it. We don't know. Absolutely. So I'm just so glad you were here. I and so, so tell them how and when they will find your book and, and just give them that. Although you guys know, I put everything in the show notes. So everything you ever wanted to know about Julia Nicholson, you will find in these episode notes, but anything else you want to leave them with? Cause sure. I, yeah. So my book is supposed to come out about June. Cool. The title of it, uh, the book is called it happened. Now what the five realizations. Yeah. And the book is about a transformative way to process this loss that we have in our life and turn all that grief into grit. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. There's, um, yeah, a lot of vulnerability in that book, a lot of, yeah. Uh, um, but worth it if I can just help one person. Yeah. And, you know, I guess if I could leave, if I could leave, um, your listeners with one thing is that there is something beyond whatever it is that you're currently going through. And it doesn't matter how long ago your, it happened. It does not matter whether it, it was weeks, months, years ago. These five realizations in this framework, anybody can use them. You can start using them right now, right where you are. And your it doesn't have to be, like I talk about, it doesn't have to be a near fatal car accident or an abusive marriage or the death of somebody you love. It can be whatever is challenging you, that heavy weight that you feel that you think this is as good as your life's going to get. Please know that that's not true. I was where you are. I was you. Mm-hmm. And I want to give you hope and let you know, not only is that not all there is, there is so much more, so much that's amazing. It's just beyond where you currently, where you currently are, what you currently believe. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Thank you, my friend. I'm Thank so you. glad. So, so, so glad we did this. Me. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. It's I awesome. Really we talked it. like a mile a minute. I know. Everyone, <laughs> if you want to go ahead, go back, replay it at half speed. If yes. you must. <laughs> Thank uh, you so much, yeah. It's yeah, awesome. Appreciate being here. Thank it was you. awesome. All right, everyone. Thank you. And this week, just listen deeply, speak. It matters, but also listen deeply, listen for real And we'll see you next time. Listen for Real is produced in Rockland, California and is edited and mixed with the help of Mark Edward. Our music entitled Zero is written and performed by Shannon Curtis. If you believe conversations like these belong in the world, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And even better, share it with someone else as a real conversation starter. We'll see you next time.